All right, this is Palm Sunday. This is um, the Sunday that begins Holy Week. This is, even though it might not seem that way because we do so much more decoration for Christmas, um, this is the highest holy period of the Christian church. It begins today, and it follows through the rest of this week, culminating in uh, Good Friday, which is the execution of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and um, and Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. One of the interesting things about, about the Bible, I love the Bible. I love almost everything about the Bible. There are other things that I don't love, but we don't need to get into that. That's a different sermon series. But one of the things I find so interesting is that Jesus is this character who is, he's so much, you know, uh, and the way that we, we map his life out, if we take the festivals especially that are recorded in the Gospel of John, it seems as though his life was about, th- or his ministry, I should say, his, his ministry was about three years in length. So we have four Gospels, four books that are about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, ostensibly written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four guys are recording Jesus' life, uh, his ministry, and they're cramming it into about 20 chapters, which might be a big book in today's publishing world. But, but if you were to read through, just like start at the beginning, Mark chapter 1, and read through all the way through chapter 16, it would take you maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half. All of Jesus' life condensed, all of his ministry, all of the action condensed into those, those few chapters, those few snippets, those pictures that we have. And what's further interesting is that of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, anywhere from a third to a half of the content that we have begins today and continues through the resurrection, which should tell you how important this next week is. The stories, the teachings, the ministry of Jesus, this is the day that starts it all off. As Bill mentioned too, this is the day that kicked off at the, the, weekly, the week-long celebration of, of Passover. And so you can imagine how important it was. Jerusalem is full of people. I mean, they're just chock full of people. People from all over the place have, have come together and it's, it's cramped and sweaty. <laughs> and you came on horses and donkeys and camels and I don't know if you've been to the petting zoo lately it's been it's been cold and so we haven't been there but if you've been there before you kind of know the sights and the smells and I mean all of this is packed in tight and along with this this opportunity to have this this moment of worship in the temple this great um, building that that houses the the, the, the priests and, and all that is going to go on there and, and there's this electricity that's going throughout the city because there are rumors, as you can imagine, people coming from this direction and this direction and this direction all over the place. They're, they're coming into Jerusalem and they begin to talk about this, this teacher who is feeding 5,000. And then somebody else says, no, I didn't hear about that, but, but I heard him teach one time and I haven't heard anything like that. I mean, not since the days of the prophets have we heard this kind of teaching. And somebody says, well, I, I haven't heard him teach, but I know that he raised this guy Lazarus from the dead a week ago. Like he was in the tomb for three days. He stinketh like it was bad, and Jesus it raised him from the dead. And, and so there's this excitement that is going on. 
And the excitement isn't just because there is a king that is possibly coming, but because Israel has experienced the heel of the iron Roman boot, that they have been under the oppression and occupation, the rape, the murder, the theft of their families, of their lands, of their children by the Roman Empire for the past 90 years. And if you can imagine walking out of the street in fear, that you might not come home again, or letting your children go out into the street in fear that they might not come home again because somebody might stop them and kill them. You might understand what the average Jew felt every single day. And so this this noise that, that possibly this one that the prophets have foretold because the prophets spoke in a time of oppression. And the prophets said that there would be one that would come who would declare this, that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. He has put his spirit on me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, if you've ever been poor, what does that mean? It's a real easy answer. Not tricking you. Cash. Cold hard cash. That bill is not owed anymore. My children's stomachs are not rumbling anymore. I don't have to worry about what happens tomorrow anymore. Like good news to the poor has tactile meaning. This isn't just spirituality, but something new is on the horizon. Something that means for those people who have suffered will no longer suffer. He has sent me to Bind up the brokenhearted. That is very spiritual, isn't it? Broken hearts, broken lives. To proclaim liberty to captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And to call them the mighty oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord for his glory. And you can imagine the echoes of the prophets And the minds of these Israelites, of these Jews who have all gathered into this one place for this high, holy event, the most important event, the most momentous event of worship in the entire year. And now this guy who has just on the fringes of society been gathering steam and creating miracles and casting out demons and confronting the powers and the wealthy and the rich. Something powerful might indeed happen. One of the things that's interesting about today, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, is actually not the triumphal entry. But what happens right before the triumphal entry? Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four that record, have three stories that happen immediately before the triumphal entry. It's really interesting Because as you read the stories, in fact, most of the content that we have in these four Gospels is story. There's a lot of teaching in there too, but even this teaching is couched frequently in in story form. And one of the things that's really interesting about the stories is we don't have a nice summary statement. Like Mark doesn't tell a story and Jesus went here and he healed this person. And then we learn because of this X sort of left up for us to muddle through and figure out. 
There are three stories that I want to tell them this morning that happened right before the triumphal entry. And I noticed something about these three stories, a, a line of commonality. And I'm just, I'm curious if I tell them if you will notice what I noticed. All right? Is that good for the day? So we'll do some story time. Of course, you can't do story time with just text. You need pictures. If you didn't grow up in church and you're wondering why everyone looks so white and in bathrobes, this is how our churches imagine the ancient world. It's very inaccurate, but it's what we've got. This is called flannel graph. Um, that's enough about that. So, this story takes place in the Gospel of Luke. And the story goes something like this. You've, you, you might have heard this if you grew up in church. This is uh, Zacchaeus here, and he is a, a, a tax collector. Very good. I was hoping for wee little man, but I'll take tax collector too. That's far more. Did you have wee little man? Thank you, Alan. Everyone, Alan gets extra Jesus points. You guys get like half of that. He is a tax collector, which is to say that no one likes him if you have to pay taxes, but he is also a tax collector, as they would in those days, to skim off the top. So he says you owe 75 when you really owe 50. Where's that extra 25 go? In his pocket. You guys know how tax collectors work. And if you say, well, I'm pretty sure that I got like this statement from the IRS that says I only owe 50, and he says, my, my guy right here says you owe 75. So what do you do? You pay 75. So what do you, what do you, what do you think about this guy here? Scum. Boo. Hiss. He's kind of, I have this, he, we were told he's of small stature, and the song goes, he's a wee little man, which is just so funny. And I think of him like we, have, we still tell these stories like in movies sometimes where you got that like kind of weaselly smaller guy who somehow gets himself in a position of power and wealth. And then he likes to lord it over everyone else in the movie. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you're like, oh man, I hate that guy. Just you can't wait for him to get his. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe I'm talking about somebody at work. Laughs, I'll take those as amens on the down low. Somebody who is able to saddle up to power and to utilize that to help them get ahead, even though they're not good, even though they're not strong, even though they're not more capable than you. In fact, they do very little other than sit on this rad bag of cash that I drew. Well, Jesus comes to town. Come to town, Jesus. There he is. Jesus comes to town. And the crowds, um, the crowds... You can tell which one's Jesus, right? I, that's clear. I had to improve on him. It was really sad, the length that they gave him. Like, this guy had a longer one than Jesus, and that's just not okay. So we, we improved his beard. So I had to, had to doctor Zacchaeus a little bit, too. But we got him all set. So here we go. The, the, the crowd is gathered around and they're, they're pushing in on Jesus, and Jesus is sort of moving through the crowds, and Zacchaeus, he wants to be a part of it. But again, he's the... Wee little man, you got it that time. And so he's trying to get there, and he's, you know, he's jumping up and down, and he can't, he can't see Jesus. But being a wee little man, but a clever little man, he climbs up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he, Lord he wanted to see. Some of you guys um, are wondering, how weird is this going to get? It's going to get weirder. Just wait. 
So he gets up in the tree and he, and he is watching Jesus. He's listening. He's looking. He wants to hear Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. Because there is something about Jesus. Something very special. In fact, he might have heard some of the stories that are circulated about Jesus. What are some of the stories that he might have heard? Throw one out. What did Jesus do? Miracles. That's super generic. Not what I'm looking for. Try again. Lame man walk. You might have heard that. Blind man see. Good. He lepers. He might have heard... Jesus surfs without board, walks on water, which is a t-shirt that I will hopefully buy someday. And so Jesus has done all sorts of things, and Zacchaeus wants to, wants to be a part of this. He wants to see this Jesus guy. And Jesus is trying to, begins to move through the crowds, but he does so creatively. It's hard to get the pictures taken and him moves through the crowd. So that was the easiest way. So he moves through the crowds and as he's going, he stops at the tree and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus. And if you are Zacchaeus, what do you feel? Terror. Because everyone hates you. Everyone hates you. You are the one that is sided with Rome. You are the one who is cheating everyone around you. You are the one with the bigger house, and everyone looks at that bigger house, and they know that their paycheck paid for it. They see him riding on that uh, Lexus-style donkey, whatever that would have been, and they say, my paycheck paid for that, and you hate that guy. You hate that guy. Not only do you hate that guy, but you know Jesus knows his name, which tells Zacchaeus something. He says that, Jesus knows something about him, and he knows that whatever Jesus is going to have to say to him couldn't possibly be good. Zacchaeus, you come down because I have some fire in my br- in brimstone in my pocket for you, right? And so Zacchaeus comes down, and Jesus says what? I am going to your house, not I am sending you to hell today. Not, I am calling in account all of your debts today. Not, you are guilty, guilty, guilty. Zacchaeus already knows that. No, I am going to go to your house. And you as the crowd of righteous people, because I can tell already that y'all are so righteous, you are standing there thinking, Jesus, are you a traitor too? make a lot of assumptions about what Jesus' motivations are and who Zacchaeus really is. And all we know is he hates the guy. And Jesus goes to his house as the story goes. And at one point, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, that's it. If I have cheated anyone, I will pay back three times the amount that I stole. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Because I came to seek and to save the things that are lost. John tells a story in John chapter 12. Before Jesus enters into the, the, gets on the donkey and rides it and the people cry out. and He's at a party, another another, um, festival, uh, celebration at the house of Lazarus. There's a lot of people there, the 12 disciples, all kinds of people. This is all we can get off Instagram, so there's only, it just doesn't show everybody in the room. But um, Jesus was really into mashed potatoes. <laughs> Jesus, if the Savior says mashed potatoes and fruits what I want, what do you give him, right? I mean, that's what he, 
wants. And so they are gathered together and having all kinds of great adult man conversations in those days. There was a strong, you know, strong patriarchal society. Men are here and women are, are in the kitchen making the dinner. And they're going to come out and serve and bring the, hopefully the gravy uh, for the mashed potatoes. And this story up to this point, we know Lazarus. Lazarus is the guy that he raised from the dead. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. You might know a bit about them. And, and Mary enters the room and you're always like, and immediately you're like, oh, Mary. Like, Mary's crazy. Mary's one of those women who don't know her place. And who won't stay there. Because there is nothing and no one, no cultural taboo that is going to keep her from being in the presence of Jesus and from following him. And she doesn't care what decorum she steps on. She's going to be near Jesus. So she breaks in the room. And you, know, you can imagine them being like, it's Mary, you know, we're, we're used to her shenanigans. And, but then she's just so undignified. Comes right up to Jesus, holding a, bo- uh, 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 a, uh, a jar of expensive perfume, she cracks it open, pours it on his feet, undoes her hair, and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And man, that's inappropriate. That's not her place. That's not okay. There's nothing that is right about this this scene, except for the smell, which begins to fill the room, this, this odor of, of flowers. And I don't know if you've ever been crammed into a room that doesn't have AC with a bunch of guys who have been hiking for some time and not showered without deodorant. But we're really grateful for that smell it's beginning to permeate the room. It's, it's covering over a certain other kind of odor, which itself might be symbolic in terms of the patriarchal society that we see here. And uh, uh, Judas is incensed. He's like, can't even believe that. How dare she? How dare you, Jesus? We could have done something important with this. We could, have, we could have sold this money and given it to the poor. But we know something about righteous pretensions. Sometimes people who protest too much do so not because they actually have righteous intentions. And Judas is one of those guys. And Jesus says, leave her alone. What she has done is for my burial. Because of all the people in the room, Mary is the one that seems to understand what is happening. It's interesting. Matthew and Mark, uh, they tell a similar story. It's a, bit, it's a bit different in some of the details, but they tell a similar story. And so these are the two places where those stories are found. Uh, they are about a blind man uh, who, <laughs> I haven't seen it on the big screen. It just made me giggle a little. <laughs> uh, they are about a blind man. And Jesus is walking along. He's, 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 headed, to, he's headed to Jerusalem. He's headed, this, this, all, this time frame, this is all kind of transpiring in a similar, in a similar time frame. And, and there's a blind man, and he begins to shout, Hey, Jesus! 
Hey, Jesus, over here. In fact, specifically, he calls him the son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Which might sort of move past our ears really quickly because we aren't encased and living in this... uh, in the scriptures and in the Jewish world that, that they would have been living in. Because son of David might say, well, that, that wasn't just his father. That wasn't just his family line. That is a way of saying, you are the king of Israel. Before the crowds have crushed around him, before everyone else is like, oh, are we waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna? Okay, well, you know, here we go. Before all of that, there is a blind man on the road. Now, the blind man's on the road because what do blind men do for work? Not a lot of options. And that is undignified and embarrassing. You're dependent on everyone for everything. You're dependent... And he shouts out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus asked a dumb question. What do you want me to do for you? Well, I don't know, Jesus. <laughs> Can think of a few things. It's, it's fascinating. Why would Jesus ask that question? What, why, how, how is it not obvious? But, but see, and I, I hate to do this, but explaining stories always ruins them. But you recognize that when we tell a story about a blind man, that being blind isn't just about being blind. Because when we see in a story or we're blind in a story, it is also about what we perceive, about what is true. And this is the man who's standing on the side of the road shouting out. In fact, the story that Matthew tells us is that some of his disciples come up and say, hey, shut up. We are on our way to Jerusalem. We have important things to do. This is the king. You identified it correctly. Now be quiet. We have to go. And Jesus stops them. Scriptures say his compassion on him. And says, what do you want? And the man says, I want to see. I want to see. It reminds me of an earlier story where Jesus is talking to some Pharisees where he calls them blind guides. And they're like, bro, we can see really well. And Jesus says, you think you can. And because you think you can, you never will. But those who realize they still need to, there's hope for them. Jesus says, Your faith has healed you. Be well. And out goes the glasses. Off goes the cane. And Jesus continues on his way. And the blind man, formerly blind man, turns and follows Jesus. He's one of the ones in the crowd shouting Hosanna. It's really great stories. Moving, powerful stories. I see a, a commonality between them. Did you see a commonality between them? There's a juxtaposition throughout the stories of the Gospels of those who get it and those who miss it. And so often the people who think they have it or who should have it 
miss it completely. And the people that everyone else has pushed off to the side because, well, for whatever reason, have pushed off to the side, those are the people who realize in that moment that they need to see, that they need the mercy, that they need to follow or be in the room with this Jesus. And I don't know what it's going to cause. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know what Jesus himself is going to say. I don't, Mary could not have known what Jesus' responses was, response was going to be when she comes in the room and cracks uh, a perfume and starts wiping her feet with, wiping his feet with her, her hair. Like, I, I would be, I, I just trying to put myself in Jesus' position. I would just be like, what's going on? Like, you know, but, She had to do this. She had to be near him, that she wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. The blind man wanted the healing that Jesus provided. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus comes to those who are hungry for him, and he offers them the thing that they need most. And the thing that we need most is mercy, hope, healing. We need to be able to see. Sometimes before we, I think one of the powerful things about the story as we sit and hear these stories is that we all think we can see so well. We're all convinced that we're right. And Jesus steps in and challenges us to ask the question again, who is the king? Who is the king? Because the day comes today, this day this momentous occasion where Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and the people are lining the streets and they're shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of our God, Yahweh. Hosanna to the Son of David, the King of Jerusalem. He has come for us. This long-awaited word from the prophets is now made flesh and he's riding on a donkey which is not a great mode of transportation, but tied into the words of the prophet Zechariah, who says, the one to come will ride on the donkey, and he will provide victory, salvation, freedom, all that we have needed. And everyone in this crowd thinks they know what's going on. They're sure they know what comes next. Jesus puts on a crown. Jesus puts on his armor. Jesus picks up his sword. Jesus slays the Romans. And they emerge as the empire of all empires in the world. Powerful, mighty, best nation in the world, best army in the world, best economy in the world. It's like Trump rhetoric. I mean, just put that, all the best, right? Put them right there. That's what they anticipate. And Jesus gives them, well, that's what we wait to see. They throw their coats down, which are drawn by seven-year-olds, and they create this red carpet of palm branches and coats, and Jesus marches in, and there's such anticipation, there's such excitement and then there's this moment it's one of my favorite moments in the whole of the story because Jesus is approaching he's approaching Jerusalem and he stops and he he sees it he looks at it beautiful 
full of so many people. So many people who are just busy about their lives, much like us, going to school, working jobs, raising kids, trying to make it. Lives that are full of pettiness, old grudges, freaking out about things that'll be done and gone tomorrow, striving to purchase things that uh, will be obsolete in a year, going after every, everything except the thing that matters. And Jesus looks at this city and he weeps. He weeps. And the gospel writer says that Jesus says, if only you knew the things that made for peace. The things that are eternal, the things that no one, no army, no, no bank, no job, no boss, no bully, no one can take from you. Things like hope, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The things that make for peace. But Jesus says, you were blind. You are blind to it. One of the best things about the gospel of Mark is how often Mark leaves us with the unanswered question. Tells the story and walks away. And I sense an unanswered question here. And the question is, do you see? Do you know the things that make for peace? Do you know the things that can save your soul, that can bring your family back into wholeness? Because all of those things are found in no other place but this, the feet of Jesus. This is an important week, an important week. And I hope that as you leave uh, here today, you'll take your Bibles and open them with your families and read some of the stories that are happening uh, throughout this week that you will make this a high holy week, a week of prayer and of, of scripture and of song. We want to help, uh, help that along. And so if you go to, um, if you go to peaceandstrongcoffee.com or you, you can subscribe to this on iTunes and Google Play, every day we'll be doing a short podcast about the things that Jesus does on that day. So it's be about five minutes. It'll be an opportunity for you. That's one of the ways that we want to help make this week special uh, for you. And so be looking for that. Uh, Jesse will put it up on Facebook and things like that as well, but, but be looking for that. We want you to be transformed by the power of Jesus because that is what has saved my own personal life. And I know there's many testimonies in this room that could say, I would be broken and lost were it not for Jesus, who opens the eyes of the blind, who heals the broken hearts, who has good news for the poor, and who proclaims freedom for the oppressed. Let's stand as we sing to our God and King.